This is Voices of Duke Health. I'm your host, Karishma Sriram. Let's talk about the dirty R word. According to Dr. Will Bynum, that's what resiliency is becoming to the medical community. He's worried that there's this growing idea that you put on your resilience cape and should blast through anything in your way. So that's not resiliency, right? But what is? So let me explain what I mean when I say that resilience uh, can become a dirty word in our community. I realize that's a bit of a provocative statement and in no way mean to say that resilience is a dirty word. In fact, it's incredibly important. But really what I'm saying is we need to be careful not to oversimplify resilience. We're, we're to contain it to something that can be packaged into a set of curricular resources or lectures and that you either have or you don't. You know, it has to be something deeper and more complex than that. And we need to think about it more broadly and be especially careful not to develop resources or, or tools that, that do create a burden and actually have the unintended effect of undermining resilience. And so for me, resilience is a, is a personal journey mm-hmm. within sort of a, a community of people that are supporting that. When you can take those experiences of finding what makes you resilient or what helps you develop resilience and then share those with other people, um, and not just the, the great things you figure out, but the, also the really crappy things that you have to slog through to get to the other side. There's a bond there. I think that definitely to echo what you were saying, like talking with other people who want to talk about it. That's Ashley Adams, one of the two med students who works with Dr. Bynum. Claire Edelman is the second student, and you'll hear from her in a minute. It's really just sort of groundbreaking when you realize that someone else has been going through the same thing and sort of having the same thoughts. So even if you can't solve it together or figure it out together right in that moment, um, it's just very cathartic to know that you're not going through that alone. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like for me, finding my resilience has come from friendships and being able to talk and be vulnerable with people. And Ashley and I are at different stages of our medical careers than Dr. Bynum. We are learners still. But for some reason, like coming to Duke day one, it felt like I, my, it was more than that. I don't know, like medicine was just a huge responsibility and that I was always comparing myself to others. I was like, everyone else is perfect and they know everything and I'm so dumb <laughs> compared to everyone else. And all I needed was someone to be like, no, this is really hard for me too. Well, one of the things we're finding as we begin to understand how people in medicine, medical learners, compare themselves is that they very often seem to do so sort of inaccurately, where the standards against which they're comparing themselves are either completely unreasonable, completely unattainable. They're not accurate. So if you're looking up to, we were talking about this earlier, if you're looking at an attending being like, wow, how did this attending get so perfect? Mm-hmm. The attending is sitting there being like, man, I, I might, these, all these learners know more than me. And I'm, I'm the, the really flawed one. I'm supposed to be perfect. So everyone or many people in our environment, I think, are comparing. We're striving to become something. And I think it's very healthy to try to become something better. But when we're trying to become the best, that gap is often so far and distant that that makes us get down on ourselves when, when we mm-hmm. inevitably recognize that we aren't or can't get there. What, what do you all think at your level? 
Yeah, I think just the fact that it is so difficult to get into medical school and you have to, at least it seems, be so near perfect to get into med school. I mean, it's, it's just a tough road to get here. So, um, and then it feels often that you have to keep that up once you are here. Yep. Not to mention that med school is full of transitions. You know this, Krishma, from second year, you're going through all your clerkships and as soon as you think you've mastered peds, you're on to the next thing and you immediately don't know anything again. And it's just, for us type A perfectionists, it's, it's really hard to be a beginner, to let ourselves be a learner because we wanna be perfect. I'm gonna suggest that, that our resilience is potentially strongly influenced by what it is that we're trying to become. So one of the ways that I've found resilience is thinking about, you know, my expectations of myself as a doctor. And for me, I'm totally okay not being the best doctor in the room. I'm defined by a lot of things that have nothing to do with my job as a doctor and recognizing that those things are help me to become a better doctor. And so that acknowledgement and um, knowing of myself is what allows me to be resilient. I would echo that really strongly. There are some values in this field that I just don't agree with. Um, there are more that I do agree with, and I'm so happy to be in this profession, but there are, are many that I felt like are detrimental to people's mental health, well-being, enjoyment in this profession. I sort of realized that I don't need to adopt all of the values in this profession, um, and I can sort of be a little bit rebellious and say, okay, I'm gonna set my own values. and that might mean that I'm not the smartest person in my class and or doing the best on board exams, but you know I have values that I am able to live up to um, and I strive to um, that allow me to focus on the real meaning of what I'm doing every day. That's cool because mm -hmm. what, what you're talking about is just being yourself. I mean, yeah. and so it's it's really how well can you retain a core sense of self and values as you navigate mm -hmm. these really challenging experiences in becoming a doctor, I think that's where that gets to a pretty core part of resilience. And I think it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy too that sort of just promotes continued wellness and resilience. So once I started paying attention to the values that I really wanted to pay attention to and fostering them, um, I found myself surrounding myself by other people who had the same values and the same interests. And in that process, I feel like I've enjoyed my medical experience um, way more than when I was trying to sort of jam myself into the values of the overall profession. really neat that we've been talking about how like your journey to resilience has been a very personal journey um, but then you guys are talking about how you want to make kind of like resilience like a part of the curriculum how does that work the most optimal way is to change the culture and maybe the easiest and lowest hanging fruit is if we just all t start talking about what it means to be a person going through this and not just doctors or students but i'm talking about everyone in this building including the patients if we can all talk about that and develop some shared community around that that's how we'll start to move the needle we did a two-hour workshop um, on in which we introduced these emotions that you can feel when you evaluate yourself so shame guilt pride and we talked about ways in which shame or feeling you know flawed or unworthy can manifest 
in the process of learning medicine. And we did, we did so by sharing a number of personal stories. We all shared a story and somewhat painful stories. Um, but can y'all talk a little bit about what happened after that, you know, and, and the way that people started talking and communicating? Cause that was what was really kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. It was cool. I think it was, it was funny to me that before I even, or at least so when I went to my seat and checked my phone afterwards, I already had had like five different text messages from different people saying, thank you so much for sharing. That was super powerful. You did an awesome job. How can we keep this going? Mm-hmm. And I think it was, it was very telling that there's a need and a, a desire to have more conversations mm-hmm. like this. And I want to acknowledge that what we did was terrifying. Like I am generally an open book and like very happy and free to speak and generally comfortable in a large group setting. But it was very scary to be vulnerable and share things that I hadn't even shared with like close friends in front of a group of strangers. But strangers that I know are going through the same thing that I went through and just hoping that I could be the one person to normalize the experience for someone else. This this seminar was not earth shattering. It was not sexy. It was really not innovative. (laughs) All we did was we created a safe space in which we normalized these emotions and then created a forum to talk about them. Then what you especially did was just sort of open up and and dig deep and in a courageous way, talk about things that we all have felt or will feel or are feeling, but are very, very hesitant to talk about. kind of amazing Claire um, actually all of you guys have brought up this point that once we're vulnerable conversation can open up and it's amazing and beautiful mm. but I think it's crazy that our profession as physicians we expect our patients to be so vulnerable and so open with us mm-hmm. and it's kind of a double standard to you know expect our patients to tell us everything and then we just bottle up all of our emotions all of our worries and fears and never share them Where do you think that paradoxical kind of setting comes from? There's a term for for this phenomenon. I think Brene Brown is where I came across it. She talks about the vulnerability gap. It exists when between two people, uh, one person is forced or willing to be more vulnerable than the other person. There is an inherent gap in the vulnerability between people who come to us with all variety of medical challenges many of which are very sensitive and very difficult to talk about. And they tell them to us as we sit, sort of buttoned up white coat behind a computer, receiving this information and not having to give any sort of vulnerability back. Mm -hmm. And I think that we miss an opportunity to connect with people when we sit on the high side of the vulnerability gap. And what it comes down to is showing our patients about something about ourselves, you know? And this is this idea of letting them see us, uh, our emotions, our weaknesses. It's often labeled as oversharing. And there is definitely a point at which you, you can share too much with your patients. Um, but what do y'all think about this notion of the vulnerability you got with patients? I think I would want to go to a doctor who's a human and who can connect with me. And I would want to get to know a little bit about them. Uh, that's just the type of person I would want to provide my care. So that's the type of doctor I want to be as well. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to share a quick story about physicians being vulnerable with their patients. I think this is back when I was shadowing a doctor. Um, Before we walked in, he was like, what is the wife's name? Or like, where is their daughter in school right now? I was like, I have no idea who this patient is. Anyway, we walk in, um, he magically remembered 
you know, the wife's name and the daughter's name, and they had a great conversation about the patient's family. And then he had to step out for a second, and I just stayed in the room. And at that same moment, the patient was like, wait, what was his daughter's name? Didn't she get married? (laughs) And it was so amazing to see that both of them were so invested in each other's lives, just like as people. And like when the physician returned, she was like, you know, I heard that she got married recently and you just had this whole conversation about it. And I think that was the moment that I realized that a doctor-patient relationship doesn't have to be a one-way street. And I would say that those moments now in modern day medicine, those moments matter more now than ever because those moments are less common. Those opportunities are less common. We spend so much time on a computer mm-hmm. that the time that we do spend with patients, that is the, the opportunity for connection with them, a connection with another human. And we need to take those opportunities. And I think doing so can serve as a real buffer from the burnout and disconnection and all the challenging emotions that come from all the other crap we got to deal with. Maybe vulnerability is sort of the key to unlocking those opportunities. And and if we can find that connection there, that could potentially be a a driver of resilience as well. Maybe one of the last things I'll say is that one of the best articles I've read in a while was a New York Times editorial that made the argument that maybe it's not self-confidence that really matters, but self-compassion. So rather than projecting this high degree of capability that hides the vulnerability, rather have enough self-compassion to promote that vulnerability, even at times when maybe what's needed more is just a dose of sort of self-compassion and vulnerability. So I've started to operationalize that and I love it. I love that. Yeah, me too. Thank you guys, Claire, Ashley, and Dr. Bynum for joining us. This is an amazing conversation, and I'm so glad that you guys could come. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Cool project, and it's awesome to have the forum to share. It's awesome. Thanks. If you like what you just heard, we hope it'll spur your own conversations. Ask a friend what inspires them or what they're grateful for. And let us know if you would like to record a conversation in our listening booth. Visit www.listeningbooth.info to learn more. Voices of Duke Health was created by Anton Zeiker and Jonathan Bay. The show is produced by Susanna Robertson. Theme music was composed by William Dawson, musician-in-residence at Duke University Hospital, and produced, arranged, performed, and recorded by Mark Simonson and Jack Fleischman. Additional music for this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to Duke Institute for Health Innovation for making this podcast possible.